Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and to learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Please hang up and try again. Grab a slice of the epic podcast. Don't stick it in your mouth. Put it in your ear holes now. Ladies and gentlemen, Nelson Lugo, Schaefer the Dark Lord, and Rachel Shank. That's me. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to you from the beautiful and spacious Studio 6C in Astoria, Queens, this is the Epic Piecast, episode 34. I am your host, Schaefer the Dark Lord. I am your other host, who is also your other, other host, Rachel Shank, today. Yay! Yay! So, all right, let's... In the interest of full disclosure... Elephant in the room, let's address it. Nelson Lugo could not be with us this month. Yep. He is seeking treatment for his heroin problem. Yeah. That's not true. I don't yeah. I don't actually think Nelson Lugo even knows what heroin is. Um, I think he is the... Oh, like the female lead of a, of a, of a comic book. <laughs> in Nelson Lugo's mind, that's what heroin is. Yeah, he he's can't, actually addicted to heroin. He can't understand why so many people are so strung out on Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, so it's, it'll be the, the two of us, uh, catching, catching Just up this month. the two of us. How have you, how have you been, Rachel Shank? How's your summer? Oh, my summer has been lovely until a couple days ago when it became so hot. Yeah, that's another, uh, disclaimer I should make about this episode. You may pick up some additional noise mm-hmm. in your playback device this month, and it's the sound of fans this. in this room. When now we considered not running the fans in the interest of uh, in, not inconveniencing you with the additional noise, but then it doesn't really matter because yeah. it's more important that we don't die. Yeah, I don't honestly. I don't want to melt. It's uh, really hot. It's really warm it's today. It's so Ugh, stupid Lord. hot. The warmth. Um, speaking of warmth, I would like to just say that. Mark Robert Turner and Christopher Douglas Crouch became husband and husband <gasps> on July 18th. Congratulations, Congratulations, Mark Robert Turner and Chris. I know. It was such a beautiful ceremony. Really? Where did they get where did they get married? Uh, Marble Collegiate Church here in uh, New York City on 29th Street. Oh. Yeah. The uh, the wedding coordinator mentioned a bunch of famous people that got married there and he was like, and most recently or wasn't most recently, but at some point he was like Liza Minnelli and we were like Liza Minnelli got married at the same place as Mark and Chris oh my god that's a a good thing to note at the top of a game wedding yes it was very important Liza Minnelli oh my god which one was that for her I 
million. I yes, don't know. She's how been married a lot. Lots of well, times. Congratulations, Mark Robert Turner and Chris. Uh, you did it. You did it. They they did it. You're totally married. And then they probably did it. They not on the day. No, they well at, afterward they, con- they consummated it. It's a legal requirement, or you're not married. Yeah, I'm sure they've done it by now. Uh, well, if they didn't, if they waited a couple of days, and they had a couple of days where they were not married. Anyway. Well. So it's been really, really hot. It's been warm. Finally, the heat wave has come to New York City. It, and you know what? I'm glad that it took this long, to be honest. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. It, we had like a day where it was unbearable, and now it's finally happening, but it's like, you know what? It's going to be September before we know it, and yeah. that'll cool down right? uh, somewhat september still can have a it can have a few last ditch efforts in it yeah but but you know what e- even though the the weather's warmer it's still um summer movie season it so. is and that's what i do to escape the heat i have air conditioning in one room of my apartment in- and so the rest of my apartment is incredibly hot yeah so uh summer is the best time to go to the movies so i have been spending a lot of time at the movies eating popcorn and just sitting in cold air conditioning and watching 20 minutes of trailers mm-hmm. i've seen a movie twice now just because i wanted to sit in the air conditioning a little bit longer yeah. you too have been going to the movies at least a movie at least a movie yeah. what movie did you see recently well i was lucky enough to be a part of an advanced screening of ant-man <gasps> advanced screening advanced screening how did yeah. you get into that uh the movie that I'm working on, uh, one of the producers does mm. advanced screenings in College Point, which, by the way, is far from Astoria. Where's Col- What borough is it? It's still in Queens. Oh. It's like at the end of the seven line. Oh, wow. It's at the end of the seven line. I didn't know that anybody went there. I thought it just got darker and it darker just- and darker until you didn't exist anymore. <laughs> like you went into some... <laughs> you went quantum. <laughs> you went down to the molecular to level. level. Yeah. To get to college point. No, it was really lovely. It was like this late midnight screening of the movie. And even though I was totally exhausted from the day's activities, uh, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I fucking loved Ant-Man so much. I loved it. If you like heist movies, you will like this movie. If you like superhero movies, you will like this movie. If you like Paul Rudd's abs, you will love this movie. If you like, yeah, if you like Paul Rudd's face or his quirky smug little yeah. reactions to things you'll love it yeah. i love paul oh Rudd. my god yes he was awesome oh. in this movie also if you like completely self-aware comedies you will love ant-man true so self-aware. um if you love evangeline lily which you should then you'll love ant-man's sequel <gasps> oh fuck spoilers <laughs> Ant-Man is an excellent addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It truly, truly is. Um, it, it renewed my my hope in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Had something challenged your hope? I was I was not the most pleased, if you remember, with the second Avengers movie. I I felt it was trying to cram too many things in. It was nice to like take a step back and just like get a new origin story, like completely separate from the behemoth that will become the next group movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, it w- I, I actually it was it was refreshing to see an origin story again. It's, it was really nice. I just can't be pleased. I will complain about superhero movies showing and their origin stories on and on and on, but 
I found Ant-Man's very refreshing and yeah. it was uh, it was a lot of fun had a good villain uh, they made great use of Hank Pym since Hank Pym wasn't the actual Ant-Man yeah. in the movie which um, I was really pleased with how quickly they addressed like that yeah how it was like this happened and then other stuff like here's why there wasn't an Ant-Man already and why Hank Pym is so much older than the rest of the Marvel Universe heroes also, to, to that end, the way that they addressed uh, Wasp. Yeah, Janet Van Dyne. Yeah, um, this is just going to be spoilery, this I think. broke my heart. If, if you've already, uh, if you haven't seen Ant-Man, uh, skip ahead. Yeah. Cause I mean, I feel like we've already ruined enough of it. Good, don't care. <laughs> this is what power feels like. <laughs> so, so, yeah, they... Um, I get the feeling that Wasp is going to be a major part of the Phase 3 of the Marvel Universe. I hope so. Because, because they spent a lot of time obscuring her face in flashbacks. Yeah. So there's something important about the original Wasp and obviously the second Wasp mm-hmm. who we're going to get sooner than later. Um, Which, by the way, Wasp is one of my favorite Marvel heroes. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. I love her. I, I love Janet Van Dyne. I love her. I fell in love with her watching uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, that cartoon that was on Disney for a while. Oh, right. Oh, wait. Wasp was a character on that? Yeah, she was. Huh. She was kind of dating Hank, and Hank was being all like, I like science, not crime fighting. She's like, you need to stop being an idiot. (laughs) It was great. Um, Skipping all of the, like, spousal abuse. It was fun. Yeah, it was. They did in in a, in a, a very subtle way. They made me care so much more about Wasp's history and about uh, um, Evangeline Lilly's character um, Hope, Hope Pym caring about her her mother's story they did so much in so much less screen time of making me care about that character than the amazing Spider-Man did in two movies making Ugh. me care about Peter Parker's parents yeah. so well done bravo Ant-Man yeah um, uh, that was great it was so good I also really loved how aware it was of the rest of the Marvel Universe without being blatant about it. Right. In fact, when they did, it was kind of, it was, a, it was, it, it was, was kind of for humor. Yeah, poking, poking fun at the whole, we're this big engine now. Yeah. Like, they ask, he, the Hank Pym is hiring this, this burglar Mm-hmm. to put on his magic suit and go fight crime. And his response is, isn't this something like an Avenger should do? Should we do this? And he, yeah, and the, the fight scene. At, the fight scene with Falcon. Uh, I loved it. That was awesome. All I could think while watching that, because I've seen interviews with the actor who plays Falcon, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, Winter Soldier came out, and he's really hyped about being an Avenger. Oh, they, he's so they, excited. They played a clip of him, like, flying around. And he was wooing and cheering this clip on this talk show. I don't remember where it was. <laughs> I'll try and find it and put in the doobly-doo. Yeah. Um, but he was so delighted. He was like, whoa, look at me flying! And so when he was fighting Paul Rudd, I was like, he watched this and he was so happy. Oh, he was so He was so just tickled pink. Just legitimately delighted. I like seeing that. I like seeing actors who are really um, excited about getting to do the work of, yeah. of being in superhero movies. Totally. Because I feel like there's so many actors who are cast in them that they're, they're kind of jaded and, and it's almost like it's part of their... It's, they're almost required to act disinterested with the whole thing. Of course, yeah. thinking like Robert Downey Jr. is kind of yeah. like, you know, it's a gig. It's an acting gig. I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. Or... Um, 
I don't know. I feel like so many of the of the actor Christian Bale has been that way about it. like everything he's played. But to yeah. see somebody like Anthony Mackie be incredibly psyched, like I'm playing a freaking Avenger. Yeah. yeah, this gig is awesome. It, it's so nice, and I feel like that makes him so much more endearing to fans because any fan would be like, "Holy shit, I'm playing an Avenger." Yeah, I would want to play an Avenger. Good lord. I would need abs, but then but I would love to play an Avenger. You would get they would they would give you abs. They do. They give you abs. They, they do. They, they gave. Hand, they were like. They, they were like, hey, abs. Chris Pat Pratt, come play Star Lord. Hold on, we need you to step over to our ab enrichment center. Which first. reminds me, uh, Nelson Lugo is not in attendance because he has actually been cast as a as an Avenger and is currently getting his abs. So we wish you the best, the speediest recovery for you and your abs, and your- Nelson Lugo new sexy marvel abs have you uh have you seen the other movies since last time we spoke i haven't oh, then i'm not gonna go on and on about this okay um but there's a new pixar movie out called I inside out want to see it so badly it's i mean it's a pixar movie they're yeah. they're master storytellers mm-hmm. um i've enjoyed every pixar movie i think i've seen all of them in yeah. the theater except for uh like the second cars movie which because I saw the first Cars movie. Yeah. But otherwise, I, I think I've seen all of them, and I love every one of them, mm-hmm. and they are masters. They know all of the right notes to hit to make you cry, and I don't know that one has made me cry quite as much as this one. Ooh. And that goes for the opening short, which is a, a short called Lava as well. Uh, I saw Inside Out twice in three days. Um, I don't think I'm going to go again. I think I've had enough of um, being something of a emotional masochist for one month. Because I, I saw it like twice in, in, in three days. And then on the fourth day, I had therapy. So uh, I, th- I don't think I'm going to go see it again. But I strongly recommend that everybody sees Pixar's Inside Out, a beautiful uh, explanation of how our emotions work. And of, by hours, I mean hours if we're all 11-year-old girls. Oh, well. Because it all, most of the movie takes place inside the head of an 11-year-old girl. Oh, that sounds... It's, it's just absolutely wonderful. Mm. I can't say enough. Yeah. I want to talk to you as soon as you see it um, and watch you talk about it without getting choked up. Oh, it's going to be difficult. I have, a, I have a lot of emotions lately. I'm full of them. You're going to love it. Oh, God. I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I adore Pixar movies. I also really appreciate uh, how... Pixar advertises their movies. Yeah. They, I feel like they give you just a little bit. You know, I feel like a lot of studios give you a lot of, here's way too much information and too much exposition. And suddenly here's a scene that you'll never see in the movie, but we put it in because crowd appeal. They go for the, they still are going for that beautiful, like, definite teaser of it. Yeah. From, from what I gather. Yeah. Having seen the trailers, it's, about a a league of emotions that work inside your brain, and that's all I know. Yep. I don't know anything else. That's all you need to know. Yeah. I mean, if, as far as far as a, a trailer is concerned, that's all you need to know. And they didn't jam pack it with too much action, and and mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge portions of the movie aren't even represented in the trailer. Yeah. Which kind of reminds me of like Wally. Yeah, or which Brave you, even. Or Brave even. Yeah, yeah. Both of those are excellent examples. They they give you a trailer that tells you enough of the story mm-hmm. so that when you get in, you sit down. By the time you get in, well into the second act, you're like, I, I did not know that this movie was this. Yeah. What is this? Yeah, I feel like Up did a similar thing. Up did a similar too, thing too, yeah. Which I really appreciate. Pixar, if you're listening, your trailers are the best. Yeah. And, well, 
the movies are pretty good too. The movies are great also, but I'm mostly calling out the rest of Hollywood for crappy trailers. Deal with it. What else awesome have you done since the last time you were here? Well, I'm not going to say I've been doing something awesome, but I have had a lot of free time to myself this summer. How have you been spending that free time? uh, I have a Netflix account. Very good. And I've watched most everything I want to watch on Netflix, including the movie Zombievers, which I don't know if I've mentioned. Everyone watch Zombievers. Really? Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I love it. Is it it. fun? It's so weird. Okay. I don't know if it's for everybody, but someone like me who loves Cabin Fever and The Evil Dead and like Redneck Zombies, just like really crappy horror movies, watch it. Watch it. Okay. Uh, But that's really brief. What I have been doing is I have been watching an American television show called... Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad? I am one of the last people on Earth who has never seen this show. What's yeah. it about? It is about a old, older chemistry teacher who gets diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, and he decides that because of his teacher's pension and the fact that like medical bills are going to be so high and so steep, he wants to start cooking meth to sell to make money for his family for after his death. Huh. And he teams up with this druggy former student, and together they start cooking meth, and then hijinks, and oh. then hijinks. Sure, all reasons. kinds of hijinks. Just hijinks. Probably rival drug factions and the law, and, and yes, doctors, yes. lawyers. Yeah. Uh, one of one of the DEA agents in the in the show is. Walter White, the main character's brother-in-law. So oh. you constantly have like the DEA's like drama happening sure. as sort of like a side story. And I'll only tell you, I've never seen the show. All I have ever heard is that it is an absolutely flawless, infallible piece of American television. Would you confirm that based on your experience, since you have been binge watching this entire show in just a matter of days? I will admit that I am indifferent to this show (gasps) indifferent i don't hate it i don't love it i'm still watching it i'm near the end because i i because you committed i commit i made this decision that i was going to watch this um and i just can't see the mass appeal that this show had. I think it is technically very good. The acting is stellar. The storyline is not catching with me in the way I feel like everyone else is caught. I feel like I I quote it along with it as it's happening because, because you've it's been so it's so so um what's the word i'm looking for ubiquitous in ubiquitous your in and, your and, and predictable and, and and in my understanding of what is american drama these days i generally see the pattern that they're following where like something messed up's gonna happen because dramatic days yeah. it it it, no offense, it's definitely like, in my opinion, the Walking Dead television series syndrome, where it's like, what's the what's the crazy dramatic choice here? We'll do that one. And it, it almost doesn't feel fueled in anything. It's just like, oh, something's going to go wrong because something has to go wrong right. now. You know, nothing. Because we need a cliffhanger every season. Yeah, we need something crazy to happen to, like, up the stakes. And I find myself... Understanding that people 
are emotionally manipulated by this show almost mm-hmm. uh, based on just the the sheer drama of it all yeah. the sheer this man is now a bad man which is a it, that transition though like it, Brian Cranston's transition through that is gorgeous and if you're ev- like if you're going to watch it for a reason watch it for Brian Cranston he's definitely like the thing to watch but Honestly, if you could just YouTube his best moments, <laughs> that would be that uh, would, a sizzle reel of, of, yeah, of just, just his performance. Would, of, uh, say my name. You're goddamn right. Like, and that would like that's it. Like, just like moments. Huh. Um, but his, I feel like a lot of people do gravitate to that show, in especially in the performance scene because it is so well acted. It yeah, is I can see technically why people like it, but I think that the story was kind of. For me, meh. But I wonder if it's it's one of these things that's like fallen victim to the same thing that so much does. I mean, I, th- this is a phenomenon that is that predates social media, but social media has made it so much more ingrained in that y- people who like it something so much almost feel obliged to like something so much. Yeah. Because this is the almost universally accepted opinion about a thing that everybody's mm-hmm. consuming. I will now go see it. Yeah. Like, I wonder how many people saw Mad Max and didn't actually like it, but still sung its praises because Mad Max is a movie that is universally, like, acclaimed. Yes. And I feel like Breaking Bad is, is a show that's been like that, too. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never seen anybody speak ill of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Not even slightly disparagingly yeah, of Breaking Bad. Yeah, and the worst thing I can say about it is it leaves me indifferent. Yeah. Like, I... Even that is, that is like, that is a pan by comparison to everything else Every, I've ever read else. anybody else speak about. And it. sometimes I wonder if maybe it's because a lot of people watched it week to week, you know, and they had to wait and they had to wonder and they had to, where me, I just hit play yeah. on Netflix and yeah. then it's like, oh, well, that's resolved, you know, and I'm sure like the the culture behind it, like the fan theories and the, and the, the intrigue of what was going to happen is lost on me. And, yeah. And, I, and maybe that's a, that's a disservice for... For the show, in my opinion, because it is so instant for me right now. There is something to be said, I guess, for the element that uh, that the water cooler culture of, mm-hmm. a, of, a, of a popular critically acclaimed television series uh, that, it, that it benefits from. Yeah. Because, yeah, you can, you can binge watch something and you don't get the speculation and reading websites and reviews and fan yeah. theories and stuff. And I do have to admit that while I've been watching it, I do do the, the research that a lot of people are have done oh, okay. you know so I, I was reading about a particular article called uh breaking bad's problems and how they corrected them and it sort of like gives a play by play of like this happened and like it wasn't well received and i i do applaud the the creator uh vince g something for recognizing that fan culture and like amending some things like there's a there's a couple characters that were just generally disliked Mm -hmm. in a season and they were they were written off a lot faster than they were supposed to because the fans sort of had an input in it and i really appreciate Hmm. that that he was taking that into account but i I will admit that for me personally sorry all of the internet if you're really mad just write at epicpodcast.gmail.com and you can read me if you feel like it i probably won't read it because you're not going to change my mind but it's all right. It's okay. Huh. It's it's for not having a lot to do. And if you already have a Netflix account, watch it, I guess. Or don't. It's, you know, it's one of those shows that is perpetually on my list of 
television series that I'm going to watch that everybody liked that I have not watched that mm-hmm. I'm going to get to. But that list is so deep, and I still haven't seen The Wire. So I'm probably I still haven't seen The Wire. Either. <laughs> probably not going to get to Breaking Bad anytime soon. Yeah. But um, that's interesting to hear. Again, the mm-hmm. first less than glowing thing I've ever heard about it, and uh, I respect that. Thank you. You're welcome. You can you can love it if you want, universe. You can. I, I will completely support your love for it. I just will not agree with you entirely. I, I, like, I've had a hard time. I, I, I feel like I used to get really excited about television series, and I loved uh, especially ones that were already finished and that were like collected on some sort of streaming video service so that I could go mm-hmm. and watch through them. I used to enjoy that so much, and it's hard for me to do that now. I, I feel like I'll look at something and it'll say, four seasons, four seasons! It's so daunting. Yeah. Um, it's also like I have a hard time committing to these like seasons of seasons of of, uh, of a television series when there's just like a like thirty minutes of giggles in a cartoon that's like a, an option instead. Ooh, the the instant giggle. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I I just keep constantly rewatching our episodes of Archer. That's what I, that's what I do instead of watching anything else. I keep thinking like, oh no, I'm gonna do this. You know what? Now I've got HBO Go count now. What? Yeah. I got an HBO Go account. I got it gifted to me by uh, someone. Dang it. I was going to be like, if you have it, will you share it? I I got it gifted to me by my ex-wife. Oh, never mind then. And uh, and I was like, fuck yeah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch Game of Thrones. Yes. Everybody's been talking. Please do. It's so good. I've had this account for like three weeks and I have not even tried to. I watched one episode of Girls. That's all I've done with it. Yeah. It it's an undertaking when you commit to Game of Thrones. It's hard for me because one on one hand I feel like in theory I should be working on a rap record. Oh, but I'm not. But when I mean I am, but just not as doggedly as I should be. But when I have downtime from that, all of it's been chewed up lately because uh, the new Batman game came out and I bought a PS4. Oh. And so whenever I do have some downtime, and I, even video games, I used to, when a new video game would come out that I loved on the PS3, I would get it, and I would, like, set aside several days in a week, and I would just binge on it. And I would mm-hmm. go on, like, 10-hour runs of this game and just fucking gobble it up and go and get all the collectibles and do all the side missions. Just love it. And I can't even play video games like that anymore. Now it's like I find myself... Oh, there's one night a week. I'm going to f- give myself like a good 90 minutes to kind of like chip away at this thing. And I'm like this old clumsy asshole who's – I'm not even good at video games. I just enjoy them. <laughs> I'm not good at them. And Maybe. I love the Batman games. And I replayed all the Batman games getting excited for Batman Arkham Knight. And so Batman Knight com- Arkham Knight comes out and I still spend the whole time just going like, wow, it's all so pretty. Uh, what does this button do? I'm just, just, I'm just this angry old man um, just chipping my way through the game. And it's wonderful. But it's going to take me, like, the rest of the year to finish. Yeah, if it helps, I'm playing Lego Harry Potter. How is, is it? Which uh, is for, like, 12-year-olds, and I suck at it. Oh, yeah, but those Lego games are fun. They're so fun. I, I love I love that I've, like, learned spells and stuff, and I, like, switch through them, and I'm like, oh, expect a Patronum. <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah. It it's really it's really great. It does not matter that the games are for kids, because those those kids uh, are they've evolved <laughs> so it's hard they have higher functioning brains than we do and they can learn new languages by playing video I don't know I just, they they can learn how to control the joystick way better than me yeah me, even though my gaming system does not have a joystick me too I'm practically looking down my bifocals to uh, figure out how I'm supposed to punch out a joker goon yeah uh, how religiously do you check out walkthroughs because I have my computer next to me ready for walkthroughs iPhone is always 
open on my ta- on my uh, living room table and open to YouTube yep. always because I know that I'm going to get stuck somewhere and I know that some like British 11 year old is going to show me how to do it. Yeah. So yeah, I use walkthroughs a lot. I I love them even though I'm really embarrassed that I. I'll tell you that. what I don't do though. I don't get a new game and start it on easy mode. I start it on the regular, the normal mode. Yeah. Uh, but you know who does start every game on easy mode? Nelson Lugo, who could not be with us this month. Because he's playing Batman Arkham Knight on hard mode, and he's just really frustrated. He's actually training at his new job tonight. He's going to be working at Pete's Burgers on 30th Avenue in Astoria, and tonight they are training him on grill. So we wish all of the best of luck to you, Nelson Lugo, in your new career. Please bring burgers home to the apartment. Oh, here's a thing that I, I've done since the last time that we met to record. Okay, what was it? I went to the 9-11 Museum. Yeah, uh, there's you can't really say yay after that, you know? Here's something about me. I have and have always had kind of a morbid fascination with 9-11. Mm-hmm. You, were, not, you were here when it happened. No, I no. was not. I was, uh, I was living in San Francisco, but I was on tour... Um, with a metal band that I played drums in, and mm-hmm. we were in uh, Western Pe- Western Pennsylvania when oh. it happened. We were on our way to New York, mm-hmm. but then we just heard that they shut down New York, and you couldn't get in or out. And we were broke, and our tour was falling apart, and we hated each other. So we used it as an excuse to turn around and go home. We were supposed to be out for like another two and a half weeks. So but you essentially Mariah Carey glittered your tour. I, I kind of did, yeah, yeah. kind of did, and I kind of was grateful that we got to go home. It was we were having a really bad time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I've always had this fascination with it, and I'm not a truther. Like I'm, I think when some people say they 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 think about nine eleven a lot, it's because they're truthers and they're like it's a conspiracy, man. And I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't, I don't think that our government deliberately made 9-11 happen or mm-hmm. let it not happen. I don't think that they had prior knowledge of it. I don't think that they were like, let's use this to, a, to forward an agenda. I think some pretty weird shit happened with Building 7, but I'm not going to talk about that. But I don't think I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested in 9-11 as a, uh, as a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I believe that 19 Saudi hijackers backed with training from al-qaeda uh took over four commercial airliners and used them as weapons to hit three of their four intended targets i believe the narrative that was sold to us if that makes me a sheeple fine but i think that that's what happened i can't think anything other than that happened and continue like being a solid human being i yeah i agree yeah you it starts to hurt if you start yeah if you if you think that our democracy would do us such a disservice. Right. Um, but I've, I, I guess I'd say I'm fascinated with 9-11. I'm fascinated with the World Trade Center. I'm fascinated with that mm-hmm. building. Like yeah. I loved Man on Wire, the documentary about the, the uh, Philippe Petit, in, who in 1974, he was a tightrope walker, and he broke into the yeah. still-under-construction World Trade Center yeah. and did a tightrope walk between the towers. Yeah, they're I'm making just, a movie of that. Uh, yeah. they made Well, they made an excellent documentary, but they're, yeah, they're making... Um, uh, a feature film. Yeah, who is it that's playing him? I remember seeing him in the trailer and was like, holy shit, he looks just w- like him. I want to be, I want to say Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but I think I'm wrong. Oh, you're right. No, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I knew, because right. my heart was palpitating when yep. I was thinking about it. <laughs> uh, I have to admit that uh, I have a, a weird emotional connection to 9-11, not for what happened in New York, but my mother was actually in Pittsburgh uh, with my with my very sickly dying aunt at the time. and. Oh. When the plane crashed, they they didn't say thirty miles outside of Pittsburgh where I was. They said in Pittsburgh, uh, and I thought my mother was in danger. It was you, you know where that plane went down, right? United ninety three. 
Uh, Shanksville. Anyway, I was uh. The conspiracy is Al Qaeda is out to get me and mine. I guess I did not live in New York at the time. I live in San Francisco, but I was a drummer in a metal band called Burmese, and we were on tour, and we were headed toward New York, and we were in Western Pennsylvania as well, not far. We'd like done a show the night before, and we got in a hotel and crashed there for the night and woke up in the morning and everything was different yeah and uh we had to cancel the rest of the tour because we had like three dates in new york and we were broke and our shows were all getting canceled so we had to turn around and go home mm-hmm. um anyway i just I, I, I was fascinated with those buildings i was fascinated by how they fell apart i was fascinated by how long it took them to redevelop that piece of land down downtown mm-hmm. and um so i went to the 9-11 museum and to get a look and it is very fascinating there's lots of interesting artifacts and interesting timelines and information about it and that only lasts for like half of it uh the well the reflecting pools that are on the surface on the ground mm-hmm. they are made in the in the footprints of the original building yes. so these two big reflecting pools of water pours in constantly and it's all the names of the victims are etched into the thing that's beautiful and very uh sobering and mm-hmm. um powerful and you go into the museum it's actually beneath that it's underground it's beneath that area and when you're in the museum walking around you walk around the still existing like concrete foundation of the two buildings Mm -hmm. and after like a few hours of looking at things that are like crushed and covered in dust it really starts to take its toll on you and you become very aware of the fact that you're walking around in a grave not just a grave, a mass grave. A mass grave. And there's, and then by the time you get to the end, some of the artifacts that are on display become really... I, I didn't need to see like a bunch of pairs of glasses that were like picked up on the street or, or artifacts like that. Like it, Some of it feels like it's too deliberately trying to just make you hurt. Mm-hmm. There are, paper, there are uh, Kleenex dispensers everywhere. And just people crying. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of perfect. Here's the thing that I find the most disturbing about the entire 9-11 memorial. And I don't think they even intended this. I think it was just really callous planning. But when you go into it, because it's a site that's going to get a lot of attention, you have to go through metal detectors. Right. Because yeah, they're not going to let just anybody go in there without checking them out. Mm-hmm. But the way the metal detectors and the lines that you go through to to go through metal detectors before you enter the museum. They are set up exactly like airport security. Exactly. Like they look just like him. And I don't think that that was an intentional decision, but it was a really poor one. Yeah. Because for the second I walked in, I was like, hey, this is going to be... So anyway, there's there's my bummer. That's what I've done since last month. I went to the mm-hmm. 9-11 museum and had a real bad time. Hooray! dun 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 dun, dun. I don't even know why I brought that up. Uh, because feelings, you had them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I got to talk about it now. Nelson Lugo would not let me talk about 9-11. He knows that I have this weird interest in it, and he won't ever let me talk about it. Which reminds me, Nelson Lugo cannot be here this month. He's currently at the 9-11 museum crying. Yeah, he actually set aside tonight to go check it out, and then we decided to record, and so he's yeah. there right now. So anyway, our hearts... Our hearts- Go out to yeah. Nelson Lugo at the 9-11 Museum. Enjoy the glasses. Or don't, because apparently it's not enjoyable. It's not. It's terrible. No, it's just bad news. There's, like, voicemail recordings. Yeah. It's, it's just awful. Anyway, other than that, summer's been real nice. Summer's been hot. Yeah. Speaking of hot. Yes. Some of our listeners <gasps> oh. have sent us follow-up emails. 
for reasons. That's true. Last month we did a mailbag episode. We did, and we did ask for follow-ups for things. And we got some. And we and we got a bunch. So I am generally delighted with the email responses we're getting. I feel like it's because I say the email address so much. If you would like to send us an email, please, epicpiecast at gmail.com. That's us. Say hey. We like you. We got a, a follow-up email from KYs. You may recall KYs wrote to us during the uh, job episode back in March. <laughs> yeah. And then did a follow-up talking about uh, his terrible boss. Which we read. And now we have yet another follow-up. Another update. And if you have been following the saga of KYs and his shitty boss, buckle up. Hey, Lugo, Schaefer, and Rachel. So some of the things on my previous list have actually gotten better. Now that the former secretary is not in the office anymore, the owner's attention is more focused on his actual work that needs to be done. That, and I told him that some of the things need to stop because, quote, I'm so fucking sick of it, I'm ready to walk out and not come back, end quote. Don't let that stop you from having fun anyway. Send all of your boss advice to... There's an email address. I would prefer to keep that address off the air just between us. I'll be picking up a bottle of rum this weekend and playing the drinking game, so maybe I'll send another email then. Love you guys. Love the show. KYs. So, if KYs, you say you're going to be picking a bottle of rum this weekend and playing the drinking game and maybe send another email, I guess you'll be sending that email to epicpiecast at gmail.com. Drink. Well, that's great. We now have KY's boss's email address, so we can send horrible things to him. Um, but we're not going to share it with you guys because vigilante justice. We're we look. We're we're experts in this. We're like ACDC in Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Except we're doing it for free. Thanks, KY's. It's nice to hear that things have turned around somewhat. No. Uh, we're still going to send ridiculous shit to your boss. Yeah, we might also send like a couple cat videos because apparently that improves your mood. And maybe if your boss's mood is improved, he'll be a better boss. Hmm. That's an excellent strategy. Well, I read that once. Our next email comes from A, the mastermind. Dear Epic Pie Cast Crew. Damn it. Let me try that again. Dear Epic Pie Cast Crew. Shit. One last try. Dear Epic Pie Cast Crew. Thank God I got it this time. My name is Adam the Mastermind, or ATM, or the Mastermind, but you can call me Adam. Real name. War whatever floats your boat, ship, destroyer, or other various aquatic vehicles designed for either transportation or warfare or something else. Rambling, I do that. Whoops, I'm typing this. Stop. God damn it. There. <sighs> I'm a nerdcore rapper from the West. My persona is that of an evil genius and liar who manipulates events from the background. Okay, so now that that's over, I would just like to thank you all for the quality entertainment you provide to the masses of the world and such yada yada yada. You are all great and give me joy straight to my ear hole. I know this was after the mail episode, but I'm happy, kind of. I was going to send an email, but never did for some reason. Rambling again. I've been a long-time listener every episode. I remember the time Schaefer and Lugo reenacted the scene from Goodfellas, and Chuck, sorry, Rachel, not used to it, was appalled by Schaefer's snarkiness. That was the best. <coughs> Long email, but bear with me. Almost done. I live in Bakersfield, California, but I will be moving to New York very soon. I will be staying in Troy, so I'll have to come out and see you all perform sometime. If only you could come out to California. I would love to meet all of you sometime, maybe at one of your shows. I digress. There will be time for that someplace down the line, or maybe in another timeline. They're, they're in their lair with layers of bear bears, whatever that means. Keep doing what you're doing and have a good time stuff year, day, night, whatever it happens to be for you month, week, yeah, and 4th of July stuff thing, America, yeah, and god damn it, stop. 
With love and the discreet scent of old cheese, ATM, P.S., less than three, Schaefer. Uh, uh, thank you, A, the mastermind. Thank you, A, the mastermind. I don't know what to really, I don't know that there was a question there, but um, there was was just a lot of praise and uh, written in the grips of a manic episode. But uh, thank you so much for listening and yeah. for taking the time to write that. Um, I, I would like to uh, to do a quick correction. Okay. Uh, real quick. Uh, I was n- not appalled at Schaefer. There's a character in the script of Goodfellas who I was reading. Yeah, that's true. She was she was reading the character. Uh, she was reading the character of the, the restaurant owner in that scene. Yes. Um, so uh, I know you, but, your, your Goodfellas fan cred just lost a point. But I will thank you immensely for thinking that I was being sincere. Because you thought that she was giving a, an incredibly uh, convincing performance. So your point has been reinstated. Acting for the win. Uh, anyway, you're moving to Troy. I don't know where that is. I don't know where that is It's either. in upstate New York. But yeah, um, yeah come, to, come down to the city when you move to Troy. And yeah. Come, we're always all doing stuff constantly. We are. All right. But thank you, Ada Mastermind. Uh, Jay Lalone writes, Hey there, Piecasters. You got my name right and inspired a new career choice. Thanks. <gasps> After hearing you guys read my emails, it really sounded like I'm up my own ass. I'll have to work on that with future emails. Anyway, still loving the show. Thanks for the volume bump, Jay Lalone. Yes, Jay Lalone asked us to uh, turn up the volume, so we fixed it last month. We did. So and now and we're I in... still appreciate that you brought that to our, that mm-hmm. to our attention. Uh, I don't feel like you sound like you're up your own ass. No. No. You sound like a delightful yeah. young American. Also, now the new volume we're at is forever alone mode, so you deserved it. Huh. Oh. Our next email comes to us from an N craft. There's no greeting here, so I'm just going to go into it. It's not that I forgot. It just isn't there. Recognize. <laughs> As someone who used to put on a three-hour college radio show that I'm pretty sure absolutely no one listened to, I know how important feedback can be. Ha. I've been listening to the show on and off for a while. I love you guys. You are the answer to the perennial question, who's the boss? The boss is you, the hosts of the Epic Piecast. I really enjoyed the Doctor Who episode. I'm in the same boat as Schaefer. Admission, I can never remember how to spell that correctly without looking. I really want to be... I want it to be S-E-H-A-E-F-E-R or S-H-A-F-E-R or X-A-F-F-U-E-R. That last one was a joke. Nested parenthetical. What? I've never seen an episode of Doctor Who, but now I feel like I have. Yay? Yay. I work out of the home doing web stuff for an evil government contractor. Not Halliburton or anything. Just slightly evil, but not truly evil. Listening to you guys and the nerdy show, guys, makes me feel like I have friends and coworkers I like. Yay? Yay. So thank you for sharing yourselves with us. I really appreciate and enjoy oh. it. By the way, totally missed the episode where Rachel did an official name change to her real name. I am intrigued. Best to you all, Encraft. Aw. Aw. Well, thank you, Encraft. Encraft. I do want to take a moment and say he sent three more emails, essentially like live emailing the Doctor Who episode. He commented on Doobly Doo, and I want to watch him cry, and the low loan mode. Yeah, so. he, he commented on additional elements, because he was basically live emailing us while he was listening to the latest yeah, episode. Yeah, I hope you were drunk in craft. I really hope that that's why the, the live emails happened. If you, our faithful listener, would like to get drunk and live email this, please don't. 
that's 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 uh, yes that's listen to rachel um uh, I can't remember what episode it was that I made the official Doesn't matter. Change. That's all of our, our archives, our, our yeah. back uh, issues we're all are there. all online, so you yeah. can go find the one. And you don't have to listen for very long. No, she does it kind of at the top. Yeah. It, and then we start over. Yeah, and then we, we go back the, and we, we do redo the intro, it. and then yeah. you make the announcement, and we redo it. But yeah, so if you listen and you hear that I say Charles Stunning, and then you listen to the next one, I say Rachel Shen, go back to that one where I last said Charles Stunning. You say Charles Stunning now. It makes me go, who is this? Who's that person? Who, I uh, don't know. Anyway, She's crazy. Thank you, everybody, for writing in this month. Thank really you. appreciate your feedback. You were mostly you. writing to us to tell us that you like us, and so, yes, thank you very much. That was very kind of I you. I feel all warm and tingly, and it's not just the weather. Um, what do you say, Rachel? Do you want to take a break? You know what? I actually have a thing that I need to do. Oh. So, uh... Terrific. Well, we are going to take a break, and we're going to come back. We have a guest this month. Now, the guest isn't actually here. The interview segment was pre-recorded mm-hmm. with Nelson Lugo, who couldn't be here this month because he's currently at a Christian reprogramming camp for middle-aged atheists. But if you ask him, he'll say he's been shaving his toes. He's, he doesn't want to fess up to that because being an atheist is kind of his thing now. Yeah. Um, so, he's, again, he's not here with us this evening, but he was here earlier when we recorded the mm-hmm. interview segment with our guest. So we're going to go ahead and air that, and then, uh, and then Rachel and I will be back to uh, wrap up the show. How does that sound? That sounds great. And God bless you, Nelson Lugo. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. I always knew I'd have to fight for anything worth doing And the proof is in the life that I have been pursuing I did what I decided I was meant to be choosing Divided by the line between winning and losing Been a bit of confusion Yeah, I had to clear some gray areas And let some people know that I'm here to break barriers There hasn't been this many weird and strange various theses and theories Since the dawn of the age of Aquarius If you got a stage and a place we can crash at We got a lifelong passion and a hatchback planned a tour and an album in the abstract with two weeks notice we finished in half that this record isn't a letter of resignation it's a thanks for all your positive messages and your patience that's why we put in the effort and dedication trying to become something better than entertainment we ain't stopping for nothing and you know this stay focused two weeks notice we ain't stopping for nothing and you know this Stay focused, two weeks notice. We ain't stopping for nothing and you know this. Stay focused, two weeks notice. We ain't stopping for nothing and you know this. Stay focused. I work my fingers to the bone for little to no reason Little to no payment even in the busy season Best behavior was never really my thing I got back to the corner, all I heard was cha-ching Now it's a paper chase, struggle every time that I sing Thinking about the bottom line, thinking awake instead of sleeping Thought I was creeping on the come up, I sliding down the mountain Throwing coins in the wrong fountain, no sick days It's just a puddle while my grounded And I guess that I deserve it, but my last days are mine So there I quit it, I've had it, I'm over it, I'm fine but like on the weekend, can you spare some overtime? Maybe I can get some extra hours while I got a brief floor. I mean, all right, okay, my place pretty full. I mean, yeah, I could use a day off. Okay. All right. We ain't stopping for nothing, and you know this. Stay focused, two weeks notice. We ain't stopping for nothing, and you know this. Stay focused, two weeks notice. We ain't stopping for nothing, and you know this. Stay focused, two weeks notice. We ain't stopping for nothing and you know this. Stay focused, two weeks notice. We ain't stopping for nothing and you know this. Stay focused, two weeks notice. We ain't stopping for nothing and you know this. Stay
nothing for nothing and you know this. Stay focused. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest on the program this month is a former editor at DC Comics. Please welcome to the program, Rachel Gluckstern. Hooray! Hello, Rachel. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I want to make sure that was the correct pronunciation, right? Yes, Gold Star. Oh, hey! Yes. <laughs> Look at that. First try. <laughs> awesome. Now, uh, that uh, is actually not as easy as people might think. Really? Do people have a hard time with Gluckstern? They do. How many times in your life would you average that you have used the phrase, it's pronounced just the way it's spelled? I lost track. <laughs> <laughs> However, then people try and be clever and do the German pronunciation, you know, like Glückstern, and I'm oh, like, great, I'm great sorry, great. I'm American. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I took a year of German in college, <laughs> and now I'm going to shock. Did everybody else in the building hear that? Uh, yes. I'm not surprised. You'd be surprised. I, 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 I've had my last name butchered uh, in more ways I could possibly imagine, and it's only four letters long. Uh, so uh, It would be a struggle for me to find a way to mispronounce your name. Yeah, I know because how you do they are... tend generally mispronounce it? Um, well, it's it's pronounced Lugo, mm-hmm. and it's spelled L-U-G-O. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've gotten all kind like like uh, Lego, Luego, Lugastis, Lugenstein. Like I've gotten <laughs> like bastardizations of that name. But how we're not here to talk about me. Adding right? extra letters. <laughs> I don't know because people are stupid. Now, Ms. Gluckstern, uh, we have. Uh, been in contact with you a number of times over the past year to ask you to It's been be a saga, a, actually. To be, uh, it's to be been a, kind of a saga. A guest on the program. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Are you oh. guys going to put... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This in verse? Oh, oh yes, we've, we've begun. We're, we're writing it on parchment. <laughs> uh, um, and also, I, I, I feel that the you being with us now uh, is kind of related to how we introduced you as a former editor at DC Comics. Now, you were an editor at DC Comics, and you are currently no longer employed with the company. Correct. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you left uh, on good terms. Oh, yeah. It oh, good. Was, it was... Good. Amicable? Ha- yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, they, they've relocated. They've left... New York they have left New York. They are in Burbank. They are all one with uh, Warner Brothers at this point. Uh, Synergy. Yeah. That's sure. a thing. <laughs> I mean, they they have a lot of work coming out down, yeah. down the road. Yes, they so. do. Yes, yes they, they do. do. Um, Real serious business. <laughs> uh, so it was about the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life. But I really do love New York. And... 
if I want to stay in publishing, New York is really the place to be. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. So I've indulged myself with comics for the past 10 years. And now I'm thinking to kind of branch out and go into real publishing, which I would do finger quotes, but that doesn't really translate <laughs> in a podcast. It does, if you say it out loud first. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So, finger quotes, real publishing. <laughs> now, in the, in the interest of full disclosure, you have, uh, among, uh, among the many titles that you worked on at DC as an editor, uh, you worked on the one that I have spent the most time talking about on this show, <laughs> yes, you which is yes. Batman and Robin. Yes, that is right. uh, in, in addition to which, you, you worked on Detective. Uh-huh worked on Catwoman. Right. We're going to get to those titles, but I want to take it back to when you started working for DC. How does one become, or how did you become, an editor at DC Comics? Well, I, you know, it, I always wanted to do editorial work. My mom was an editor, actually, of another type of niche material, Sunday School Lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not. Okay. But, I, but, you know, I knew editorial work was where I was headed in college. I decided, hey, comic books, that would be great. Uh, Batman is my favorite. So that would be a really awesome. So you, you read comic books as a, as, a, as a young woman? Oh, com- comics has actually been part of my entire life. Oh, wow. Nice. I, c- I come from a proud lineage of nerds. <laughs> As yes. a matter of fact, um, in my collection, I've got a couple of boxes of 70s Marvels that I'm borrowing from my uncle indefinitely. <laughs> and uh, when I was about 15, I was having a conversation with my dad about Batman and Superman, I was like, I think ultimately I think I like Batman better. Yeah. This is something cooler. And my dad's yeah. like, well, did you ever read the comic where Batman beat up Superman? And then he handed me his copy of Dark Knight. So <laughs> it's it's a bit of a legacy. Was that, yeah. a, was that a moment for you? When you read Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, did you, did, did is there, is that like a, a, a delineation in your life? Like there was a moment. It's definitely a big pivotal you, moment. You had I mean, a life everybody. before it, and then a life after. It. <laughs> I think everybody does when they read it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I wanted to know if that was, yeah, if that was, yeah, also held true to somebody who was a fan who ultimately found himself in the business. I think that's true for most of the professionals around my age. Really, and a little older. Oh yeah. Uh, so did, when you when you went to college, was was your focus to be in comic books the entire time? It was. Uh, the college I went to allowed me to design my own degree. Oh wow! Okay. So I did that with uh, focusing on creative writing, but with an eye towards someday I'm going to be in comics. Right. Which meant a lot of film classes, actually. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then I interned between my junior and senior years uh, at DC in the Batman office. Nice. Uh, Denny O'Neill was kind of phasing out at that point, and Bob Shrek was phasing in. So right. got to work with both of them, which was pretty cool. Wow. And uh, then the next year I graduated and moved to New York and then banged on their door for three years until they finally got sick of it and hired me. <laughs> you were tenacious. <laughs> yes. I would imagine a lot of people are, are dying to get a job at, and I just want to say these words again, the Batman office. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did not start out in the Batman office when I started working there. Okay, but. let's yeah. So let's talk about that. So um, after you you interned for them, and then three years went by. Three years of, of dogged pounding on the door went by, and you and you land the job. You mm-hmm. are now an editor at DC Comics, assistant, assistant editor at DC Comics. What uh, what assignments do they do they give you 
at first. Was it Looney Tunes comics? That was actually part of it. Yeah. Um, I awesome. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coincidence, though, in that in that case, um, I was working with Joan Hilty, who was working on both DCU books and and the licensed kids books. Wow. Okay. Um, and so you know, I'd help her. I just basically assisted her on everything and she let me have a pretty strong hand running the kids books that was really great training oh wow good so yeah yeah. you get to learn how to manage you know the editorial workflow and start building your relationships and more than that because everything has to fit a certain you know licensing standard that helps you get a good eye for quick story, you know, getting down to the story essentials, staying on model, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Right, right. So what, uh, so please, for, for, for the uninitiated, what exactly does an editor do at DC Comics? <laughs> well, it depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, then what, what exactly did you do? I would imagine that I mean, it's, it's a lot of reading of, of scripts. It's a lot of looking at layouts and it's a lot of like managing schedules and and uh, time and and deliverables and things like that uh but did you also have to like soothe egos and talk people down from ledges i mean were you like part uh sort of like proofreader and part like counselor (laughs) uh actually pretty much you've described everything (laughs) oh wow well done (laughs) um the 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 pretentious way I use to describe it is uh-huh. it's a lot like being a movie director. You know, oh, okay. I'm not I'm not writing it, sure. I'm not drawing it, but I'm responsible for making the whole production happen. Oh, that sure. okay? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So okay. you see everything from proposal all the way to pushing out the door to get it to the printer. Uh, so I, I mean, <clears throat> I would imagine you have, especially in the in the scripting process, there's probably. Uh, lots of material that you have to to do then to, to to try to make the story fit in the page allotment, and I would imagine a storyteller is going to want to give you as much as possible because they he or she has a story in mind that you would have to probably do a lot of editing of script. Um, I mean, most of the people I worked with know how to tailor their story to fit the page allotment. You know, it's not like page count is a mystery to them. Okay. They know exactly how many pages they have each issue. I guess what I'm wondering is then, what about in, in layout? If you say they're, you're tr- they're, a story is trying to be told from A to B, and you get these layouts of where the panels are for the story, do you have, would you have input in saying, you've got to make this tighter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even with, with, with the imagery, too. Yeah. And you would have to send things back to the pencilers to say, no, 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 we don't need six reaction shots in a row. <laughs> I mean, a lot of writers nowadays uh, lay things out so tightly in their, their scripts. Uh, like, exactly in this panel, there's going to be this reaction shot. Mm-hmm. And exactly in this panel, there's going to be this punching. Um, so a lot of artists don't necessarily even have to worry about breaking down um but sometimes they would like that challenge more sure so that's where the marvel method actually is an artist friend more than a writer's friend sometimes oh well because the because the marvel the marvel method as we know it you know you get a plot you don't get a panel by panel breakdown you just get kind of you know this is what's happening on this page this is the important part Wait, now that's what who gets? That's what the editor gets, or that's what the artist gets? It's what the editor will approve to send to the artist. Okay. 
Um, and that, so that type of description, the artist then has more room to make up how many panels are going to be on the page and how to lead up to that. I see. And then, so the writer goes in later to fill in more of the details with dialogue. And yes, I see. How is that? How is that? Does that then? How does the Marvel method then differ then from say other comics companies? Is it? Well, I mean, Marvel method is just sort of the shorthand. You know, we're allowed. DC's allowed to use it too. It's just. Oh, I see. I see. It's a. It's a. It's a method that was perhaps developed over there. Yes. And yeah. that's okay. I get it. To how Stan and Jack would work. Uh, I see. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Common Books, Schaefer. Thank you so much. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm very interested in these colorful books that you read, Nelson, and I would like to try some myself someday. Uh, so uh, you graduated from uh, the kids' books. Um, so what was your first big mainstream title that you worked on? Well, um, I got to work on the kids' books for a good long time, uh, both as an assistant and then... Uh, solo editing some of them. Actually, one of my favorite jobs was a kids' line book. But the fir- very first actual which one? Uh, DC Super Friends. Oh, <laughs> with Marvin and the Wonder Twins. And- no, 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 no. Um, it was actually the it was uh, the regular like Justice League team. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a line of toys from Fisher Price. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Kind of blocky. Yes. Yes, yes. And uh, oh, yeah. I admit, the designs took a little use to get it. <laughs> it took a little, you know what I'm trying to say. I, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, getting to work, you know, that ended up being a lot of fun. It was like the book I would work on to unwind <laughs> from everything else. Okay. Uh, my very first mainline DCU uh, miniseries was a Batlash miniseries. That oh, was which one? Uh, it came out in 2006. It was written by Sergio Aragones and okay, yeah, I do a know this Western one. writer who actually was living in my hometown at that time. Oh, huh. Because all roads lead back <laughs> to what? To Fort Collins. <laughs> to Fort Collins, <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> and, uh, and it was drawn by John Severin, the legendary John Severin sure. from EC Comics, who was living in Denver. So, <laughs> Oh, look at that. What, what was Batlash? Batlash was uh, the offbeat cowboy. He wasn't necessarily like a stoic, rugged mountain man. He was um, he was more of a ladies' man. He was like Maverick. Yeah, okay. exactly. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Like, think of Maverick with a whip. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was charming. He was educated. He would much rather sweet talk his way out of a situation than fight people. And he really liked the ladies. Huh. And the ladies liked Lash. And the ladies liked Lash. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently so did the Lugo. The Lugo also liked Lash. I do. I, do. I like, I like Batlash. I, he's, yes, I definitely like Batlash. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. okay. So so you, so, uh, so then essentially you kind of worked your way up the ranks, mm-hmm. as they say, and then you ended up in the Bat Office again. Well, uh, wait, there's, a, there's some stuff before the Bat Office. Oh, wait, Yes. Right, you you actually yes. brought to fruition uh, a title that uh, most people would consider kind of uh, offbeat, uh, and that was Amethyst, right? Amethyst happened while I was in the bad office, actually. Oh, really? It was all part of the New Fifty Two. That's right. That's right. But that that that, that was a, also one of my goals, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you set this goal. I'm going to go to New York, and I'm going to work on Batman done and then you also set this goal 
I was the first I, person really allowed to be I allowed to revive Amethyst since uh, the 80s. Right. You you worked on it, and that, like you said, that came with the New 52. Yes. Did she come with her own? It was a was it a standalone book? Uh, yes. She yeah. she was in well, she was in the fantasy anthology sort of sorcery. Okay. Uh, then then there was a couple of backups. One was Beowulf, and one was Stalker, the Man Without a Soul. I, okay. <laughs> That's, that sounds familiar. Um, I, I, the words being said always kind of crack me up when they, like, the name has like a tagline. Yes, right? yes, yes. Um, uh, wow. I, I feel like I've been really bad with my life at setting goals <laughs> and, then, and, and then pursuing them because there's two of them. I, wanna, I would like to be a part of reviving Amethyst. Boom. Done. In fairness, uh, the, I'd been basically begging to revive Amethyst ever since I started working there and Again, like my banging on the door just to get hired. I think they were just finally like, "Fine." <laughs> <laughs> they they realized that that if you went to them with something, you that like they could only blow you off for so long. I I am a little persistent. <laughs> <laughs> get, that's another lesson I I should have been employing my whole life. Uh, but there was there there was some other stuff too. You worked on uh, Teen Titans. Yes. Uh, you worked on Teen Titans. So this would have been 2010, 2011. Um, yeah, I guess 2000, so hard to keep track. I guess 2010, because we launched the new 52 in 2011. Yeah. yeah. I got excited, because I'd asked you before this uh, what some of the titles were that you'd worked on, and you told me that working on uh, Teen Titans with Nicholas Scott. Yep. Um, and J.T. Kroll. Yeah. That, uh, that that had been kind of a benchmark or that that had been like a, a a milestone in your in your career. Yeah. So I to to get myself up to speed for this, I went I bought a couple I bought a couple of books. I'd I'd read okay. a lot of the stuff that you published in in monthlies as sure. as you know from our us being friends on Facebook. Um that uh, but but I went and I picked some up and so I get this Teen Titans trade um which is um this must have been published around the same time that Morrison was doing his Batman and Robin. When, when Grayson was Batman and Damien was Robin? I think it was shortly after Morrison had wrapped up, if I remember correctly. Oh, but, but, I, it, but it was around that era of, yeah. of, of Batman. Batman yeah. was... Dead. A million air quotes, dead. Sure. And Grayson was Batman. <laughs> so And I loved that run so much. So when, as we were getting ready to... As, as I was went and picked up some comics to like kind of bone up on some stuff you'd worked on, I picked up this Teen Titans one, which is a Teen Titans book where Grayson is Batman and he drops Damien off with the Teen Titans and says, you guys deal with them. And I was just like, it's, it's more of this era of this of these characters that I didn't read before because I've always strangely passed over things like Teen Titans and, and Justice League and various teams of the DC universe. And I read this thing, just, I couldn't put it down and it was so exciting and it was so fun to have like more input on the character of Damien from that from that era, which is yeah. that I those yeah. those 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 the, the the Grant Morrison trades of the Batman and Robin run where where Grayson was Batman. I just love that stuff yeah. so much. And as you know, as you know, and as both of our listeners know, <laughs> I, I feel a very deep and complicated emotional connection to Damian Wayne. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Some might say problematic. Uh, not problematic. Uh, I just think he's a an amazing character. He's such an amazing yes, character. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. And I got to so getting uh, a, a more Damien to read uh, 
uh, was it was so much fun having him be part of Teen Titans. What was like? Uh, what, what? Why? Why was this moment a milestone for you? Um. Well, because um, you do kind of measure your career by you know what big names you get to work on. Sure, the people you work with. Sure, the people you work with, but also the characters you work with. Oh, okay. Okay. And so the Teen Titans are kind of a big deal to hardcore DC fans. Um, and get it, you know, finally getting to be the editor on Teen Titans was like, you know, it, ma- it makes made me feel like I'd achieved a certain level in my yeah. editorial career. Okay. That makes sense. It made me feel like a fool that I'd missed out on it. It's a, it was a great book. Yeah, that was, it was a, a lot of fun. that was a great read. I, I feel like I should probably go and pick up some more stuff from that era of Teen Titans and get myself up to speed. Yeah, because uh, yeah. it was great. The team dynamics are, are great. <laughs> Their costume designs are great. Uh, I as a as a diehard hardcore DC fan, I love the Teen Titans. I know you do. I know you do because I actually a few years ago Nelson uh, <laughs> got kicked out of one of his apartments and. Uh, I have indefinitely been holding his comic book collection. So I know yeah. what you've read for years. Because you've been leafing t- through it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a ton of Teen Titans in there. <laughs> I fucking love Teen Titans. And tons of The Flash. I love The Flash. I uh, worked on The Flash at one point, too. Of course you have. Really? Of course you have. Uh, as either assistant or associate editor. Is I can't there remember. Is there a corner of DC Comics where you weren't involved in at all? I never got to work on a Wonder Woman book. <gasps> what? I know. That is one goal is I did crime. not did not achieve. And I never really worked on any super books. Huh. Really? Yeah. No no big S. No big S. Huh. Interesting. And I actually like Superman quite a bit. Uh, I'm so not just saying that because you're wearing a Superman shirt. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually I love the new fifty two Superman. I wasn't such a big fan of pre New Fifty Two, uh, but New Fifty Two Superman I really love a lot. Uh and uh, that's so sad that you didn't get a chance. Is it? Is it because <laughs> in my head is it? Is it because it's kind of like the Jets and the Sharks and the Batman Office and Superman Office are like <laughs> like constantly at like war with one each other and they rumble at, during like lunchtime around the vending machines. Well, I mean the Batman team already wins because we do Batman. So yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> but is there some battle dancing by the the Coke machine? Do you, you want to see Snap comics fingers. nerds dance? Uh, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. I want a reality show where that's all that happens. Uh, <laughs> you also worked on JSA, which is I, I'm going to admit right now. Just I'm going to show my total ignorance. I I don't know anything about JSA. In fact, the first time I ever even heard of the Justice Society of uh-huh. America was leafing through your comic books. Oh my God. But I, I read a book that you edited, the JSA versus Cobra, and uh-huh. uh, there are all these characters that, with which I was not. Well, the golden, it's, it's mostly made up of Golden Age. Right, uh, like heroes. there's old yeah. Flash. Well, the original Flash. The original Flash. Yes. Jay Garrett. <laughs> Would you, what? No, I, I like how you're very careful to call him the original Flash, not yes. old. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't, it's kind of it's like, like Star it, Trek it, and Next Generation. Like, you never call Star Trek the old Star Trek. It's always the classic Trek or the original Trek. This is how I learn. Okay. By saying the <laughs> yes. wrong thing and getting corrected. Yes. The original Flash. Yes, the original Flash. Yes. <laughs> He's really likable in that code. He is. I fucking love Jake Eric. Uh Actually, I know this is blasphemy, but my favorite Green Lantern is Alan Scott. Oh. Really? Always will be. Oh, Ooh. I never really worked on any Green Lantern books either. Huh. Come think huh. of it. It was, I mean, part of it is, you know, there there's like the Batman group and there's the, you know, Justice Society group and the Superman group. So 
So, it just depends who you're working with. Sometimes. So every every title has its own office, essentially. Yes. Okay. So there isn't like there isn't like the Batman office and the Superman office, and then everybody else. <laughs> I mean, that's probably how they view it. But that's not how they're supposed to say it. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm, I, I, I just I want to get to this. You worked on Batman Robin with. Uh, Gleason and Tomasi, or is it Tomasi? Tomasi. Tomasi. You're oh, on nice. a roll. I'm yeah. on a roll. For Look at that. Na- the, two these for are two. names I have never said out loud. There before. you go. Uh, so you you worked on the New Fifty Two run of, of Batman and Robin with Gleason and Tomasi. Uh, my favorite uh, book of the New Fifty Two. My favorite Batman book. I was my favorite Batman book. I, you're supposed to go from general to specific. Sure. It was my favorite book of the New Fifty Two. Right. I had such an emotional connection to it, um, all the way up through. Uh, Batman, uh, Robin's death, and 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 the Requiem storyline, and issue eighteen, the, the silent issue that I wrote a song about. I was very connected to these to these yes. stories. Some and might this, say problematically the, connected. The way they, I, the way I they am were, endlessly flattered by the fact that you wrote a song about. It, I though. was I was <laughs> so moved. I've like I, you know, I've I've been reading Batman for a very long time, and I've never really cared much about the Robins. I. <gasps> I, I I never really did. I never really cared about Tim Drake. <gasps> when I was a kid, I called the nine hundred number and voted for Jason Todd to die. Ah. So did I. So did I. Um, yeah. I, I just and then didn't both really ca- your parents said, "The hell is this?" <laughs> yes. What is this charge? Are you calling porn? <laughs> oh no! I begged permission. She was. My mom was just like, "Just do go to your thing." <laughs> um, so I never, I never really, ca- I, I, I didn't like him. I thought that the character of Robin was too colorful and, and too corny and, and, and just didn't really make any sense. And he, he took the edge off of my beloved Batman. And then <laughs> Damian Wayne came along. And I mean specifically the New 52 Damian Wayne changed my attitude about Robin. Like, I now like the other Robins so much. I like them now because I like Damian Wayne as Robin so much that it completely changed my oh, well, look attitude that. about the character. Actually, I went through a similar process, which is something I'm probably not supposed to say as a former DC editor. <laughs> but uh, for years, Carrie Kelly was, you know, my favorite. Sure. Well, obviously. Oh, obviously, yeah. Uh, but Damien really turned things around. Yeah, it was a, a complicated character that uh, that gave, you know... You have Bruce Wayne all these years and, uh, you know, still mourning his parents, but you never see Bruce Wayne in a parental relationship, either on either end of it. And and watching him clumsily try to f- be a father to Damian Wayne was some in- in really inspired storytelling and, and added so much more to the character that is normally only... I feel like his stories are best told by his villains. It was nice. I, I felt like seeing his own flesh and blood as this endless conflict in his life was was a really beautiful element to the Batman universe. Uh, I know I know that Alan Moore uh, had basically emphatically been quoted to say that he wrote Damien to basically be dead forever. Um, or is that not the case? Because you're giving me a face not now. Alan Alan, Alan I'm sorry. Moore? No, I'm sorry. No, I, I'm, I'm having a brain fart. We'll let you get there. No, please help me. Grant Morrison? Grant Morrison, thank Wait. you. Holy shit. Uh, the internet is yelling at me right now. Uh, so Graham Morrison had basically planned for Damien to be dead, and, be, he, he, and that that his story will not continue any further. Um, what was? The, were you a part of the decision making process at DC that decided to keep that going, or at least uh, open the door for for more stories? It was always yeah. I mean, it wasn't any mystery that that 
was going to be happening. Grant, I think it's better to qualify Grant's statement as, uh, the way I understood it was he wasn't going to be writing anything more, but he fully understood the nature of reviving popular characters. So I don't think it's anything he has a problem with. Right, He's right. just, you know, he's told his story. He has dropped his mic. He's <laughs> but uh, uh-huh. Tomasi, you know, Pete was Grant's editor for a good long time before he jumped over to the writing thing. I mean, oh, really? They, they have a very good relationship. Oh, wonderful. So, okay. Uh, he, you know, it's it was not any surprise to Grant. Right. Well, I, I don't think it was any surprise to anybody else, really. Uh, you know, comic books. I, really I die do for remember Schaefer being upset. <laughs> I, yes. All right, look, I got really upset. <laughs> uh, really upset's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> Here's think, the thing. I, I, think, I, I think you actually kicked a comic book out the window as, as in a protest to how upset you were. Look, I'm a child. <laughs> I like here's I, I the thing that I like and the reason the thing that maybe kept me away from so much like Justice League stuff or other of the of the superpowered or, or supernatural right. characters of the DC universe is I like Batman because you know it's he it he's immortal and he or he's amortal and he doesn't have powers and even then when I'm saying that I still have to like qualify that every now and then because yes there's some magic that shows up in the Batman universe a lot there's a lot and of magic so, some of them up. I don't really care for but some of them I I make exceptions for so sure. I have a complicated criteria that is flexible <laughs> but I didn't want to see it happen with Damien I didn't want him go to an alternate dimension and have Shazam along and bring him back <laughs> from the dead I, I didn't want that I wanted him to be what Jason Todd didn't get to be which was like this Jason Todd's best work was when he was dead and he was a reminder of Batman of his failures and then when they when Jason Todd I don't I don't care for Red Hood as a character because I don't think he should be around. I forgive <laughs> I forgive Damian Wayne coming back more than I still for, will forgive. You know Red. what? I I used to think that way. I having having read some Red Hood, I'm actually slowly starting to like the character. Now. Okay. Uh, he's growing on me. So this is this is where I'm going with this. I'm not just sitting here. I didn't get you here to just listen to me talk about Damian Wayne. This okay. is what I'm. This is where I'm getting at. He has a question. point to this diatribe. Is it difficult then when you work on a book and you pour your heart out and you've been working on this book for months and months and months to see people like me say in your Facebook feed who are such big fans and they're talking about it all the time to suddenly start expressing their disgust and or, or their disappointment and their entitlement with 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 what the story should be? Is that difficult? Yes, of course it's difficult. But uh, I would be silly to try and, you know, steer the opinions of my friends. Right. Right. Your opinion is your opinion. You're a fan. You're allowed it. It is... What I want people to know... What I would love fans to know, one thing is the editors do care. They are pouring all this work into the books because they love the characters just as much as the fans do, and they want to make these great things. And sometimes we disappoint. Sometimes we missed up. Sometimes, like in the case of, uh, let's take Catwoman, actually, the new 52 Catwoman. Yes, let's do, please. Uh, When Catwoman number one came out, you know, she and Batman getting it on. There is a there is a sex scene. <laughs> it there. is a fantastic they, scene. They are stripped down to masks. Holy mackerel, yes. Uh, there was a lot of outrage, particularly from people that whose opinion I generally respect about that. Uh, but 
I have to admit, though. What was it, what was the criticism that was the loudest for you in the, in for that first issue? Um, the from my fellow feminist contingent who took it as yet another we're exploiting female characters, yada yada yada, which is um, which is because all right, admittedly, you know. W- it Catwoman was set out to be kind of a sexier book then, you know, mm-hmm. but it was like the sexy female book, whereas Wonder Woman was not. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. it was a, acknowledging there's a there's a flavor of fandom out there who yeah. likes absolutely sexy chicks in comics. But how do you? But my my intention behind it was to at least make it the most intelligent, interesting, sexy book hmm. that I could. Uh, and you know what? I agree. I re- uh, um, doing my research for this interview. I read the first two uh, trades of Catwoman uh, after the New Fifty Two, and I have to say, um, watching um, watching Catwoman's Batman's relationship was wonderful. I mean, yeah. um, prior to New Fifty Two, she seemed to always be one step ahead of everything. Which can be wonderful, but it also can be very bland storytelling after a while. Yes. Here, she's not nearly as smart. She she's more on impulse and instinct than anything else. She makes bad choices, and that is infinitely more uh, entertaining uh, story wise because you get to see her grow. You get to see her learn from her mistakes. Um, was well, that you, you do have to show the consequences. Absolutely, yeah. and there and the consequences are quite severe in her world, uh, and it, it just feels like a more grounded. I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna hate myself for saying this out loud, <laughs> but it's almost like the Spider-Man effect, right? You have you you have uh, someone with real problems, real emotional quirks and and character traits that are flawed, but has this tremendous ability to do things. And the choices that they make are what things, they- including Batman. Let <laughs> <laughs> me tell you, that's look. Yeah, that those I I look. I I, that scene I lingered was on those panels for a while. It is sexy <laughs> as fuck. Uh, oh, I, actually, the thing that annoys me the most about the the criticism of that scene uh, is that so many people try to make it worse than it was. They're yeah. all like Batman and Catwoman were being all you know just banging on a dirty roof somewhere. I'm like, no, they're inside a nice penthouse. Yeah, they a very nice penthouse. It was they destroyed. <laughs> it's very clear in the way their body language is drawn and the way their dialogue is written in that scene that they ha- that this is like that this is a loving relationship that has been going on for some time. It didn't look like it was like this. They were fighting on a rooftop and then they well, were like, carnal, I can't take uh, this uh, loving, passion I, any I don't, longer. I don't know if I, I agree with loving, but it's definitely carnal. It's very lustful. Like it's, 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 Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. But it's, 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 I mean, everybody's consenting here and everybody's working out some misplaced anger issues, which is a direct <laughs> quote from the book. Uh, I, I <laughs> Even love... I don't have that memorized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, but then again, I'm also a cisgendered straight male so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about but I loved it uh, I really I enjoyed the, the the Catwoman run I read um, I was reading that in monthlies up through like somewhere in around 30 I think is when I finally started backing off because I don't want to start having to make more space for long boxes I'm just gonna <laughs> be more selective and read trades from now on but I've I really liked that Catwoman run a lot I liked how she became something of a folk hero yeah and uh, yeah 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 I I I thought that she was handled well. And I actually thought that it was kind of interesting that, like, 
that the the the, the first there was a little bit of a Trojan horse with it that that first issue there was like it was all action poses and sex scene with Batman and everything. The story is kind of belying all of that imagery, uh-huh. but then as you like progress, her story gets much much more complicated. Yeah, yeah, and darker and yeah. and sadder and, uh, and. I think I think Judd's greatest writing talent is how like really raw and visceral he can write emotions. Absolutely. He, Absolutely. I think a lot of people react to him so strongly just because they can't handle what he's sure <laughs> that, yeah that's probably a fair assessment yeah uh, well, and these are probably critics who are like I wanted a jiggle book <laughs> <laughs> and these people are actually dealing with difficult things that I don't want to face I, I will share one thing one colleague like at the 11th hour said that perhaps they could maybe we should consider switching positions because it makes Batman look too submissive and I, I, I nixed that one. Really? Good. Good. <laughs> Good. Yes. Yeah, no, it, it's, yes. Somebody had to say that note to another person who had to deliver that note to somebody that was like, hey. <laughs> our Batman is, we kind of write our Batman as a top. I know we don't say that. <laughs> it was no one in the Batman office. It, but we just, it's just, you just accept that, right? All right. Uh, uh, yeah, good. <laughs> I'm glad that I know that he, you were responsible for for making that not uh, happen. Awesome. Um, all right. Look, uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you uh, two questions. Uh, one of which I'm sure you'll be delighted to answer. Uh, the other one we will make we will bleep out all the things accordingly. Oh, God. Uh, who are your favorite people to work with, and who are you not so favorite people to work with? Now we will bleep out names. I guarantee you. So feel free to. To both praise and denounce your heart's content. Let's Go. just focus on the first one. <laughs> um, there are too many people to name that I enjoyed working with. But on that Super Friends, DC Super Friends, that I actually is one of my secret favorites. Uh, everybody involved was great. Uh, the artist was Jay Bone, who did all the covers. And then Dario Brizuela and Stuart McKenney were the main artists. Jay would sometimes do an issue, and we had some guest artists like China Clugston and Scott Shaw come on in. And the writer uh, was Sholly Fish, who actually used to be a senior VP of programming at Children's Television Workshop. Oh, wow. <laughs> so who better to write yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a young reader's superhero comic, really? Um, but God, I mean, you know, everybody on Batman and Robin. Everybody on Catwoman. Everybody on Detective. You worked on Detective. Uh, (laughs) One of the best parts about working on Amethyst was getting to work with Christy Marks, who most people know as the creator of Gem. Yep. uh, Which is spelled differently than Gem. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, And Aaron Lopresti was truly great on that. I. There are so many people. Uh, I do want to give special shout-outs to John Kalis and Mick Gray on from Batman and Robin, because they had Mick was the inker, and he was the first guy whose inks I really started noticing as a distinct inking style. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a writer background, not sure. an artist background, sure. and uh, I really no- started noticing them on when I was reading Promethea, right? Because he inked J. H. Williams. And uh, then I worked with him on the Red Circle book, The Shield, which was like the Archie superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. don't know that one. 
I, the shield was a golden age character. Yeah. And actually, Captain America was kind of a ripoff of the shield originally. Okay, now I'm, yeah, I'm vaguely picturing this now. Okay. That triangular shield that yeah, Captain America yeah. used to have, he had switched to the round one because the triangular one was the shield shield. Of course. Copyrights, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, awesome. If you Do you have uh, any... Uh, a particularly treasured anecdote from your time working at DC that you care to share oh that doesn't God. that doesn't get you in trouble with anybody <laughs> or burn any professional bridges. <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> I want to know who was the most difficult person you ever had you, to work with. She could take that's, off mic. That's what I want to know. We will bleep the name. Uh, oh, we're leaving. Burn. We're gonna leave that in. We're leaving that in. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll bleep it. <laughs> uh, so any anecdotes any any funny stories any quirky things any um i mean this isn't really funny but but, <laughs> but the uh batlash miniseries um when i took over you know took over the project uh there was already a proposal and kind of a loose outline of how the story would go and I was wanted to get something that at least echoed the classic origin a little bit more. Sure. But more importantly, uh, his main girlfriend in it, uh, the original outline had her, you know, she was going to be raped and then she was going to be feeble-minded from the rape and then die oh dear. and Yikes. whatnot. Good gravy. And I had a really long talk with the writer and convinced him that maybe that wasn't the most original idea that you could do. Sure. And right, yes. maybe you'd want her to stand out better if she's going to be so important to send Batlash down the life that he eventually does. And to line it up more with the origin. Um, so, she she lived, she didn't get raped, she nearly gets raped, but she uh, actually fights off her attacker. And... Uh, Instead, it, it aligned with the original origin where she eventually ends up in a convent somewhere. <laughs> oh. Well, so basically the complete opposite of what they originally intended. Yep. But you still <laughs> saved, <laughs> saved comic readers from the umpteenth uh, yeah. d- rape motivation storyline. So I, was, I was pretty proud of that. Bravo. Thank you. On behalf <laughs> of readership everywhere. <laughs> oh, wait. I have a funny anecdote that's completely different from rape. Okay. Oh, awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, give it to us. Back, back when uh, I was running, working on the kids' comics, you know, I'd get all the kids' fan mail, mm-hmm. which was actually very adorable. Uh, I can't Aww. even imagine. Was it all, like, handwritten in pencil and crayons? Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, and Teen Titans Go got the most fan mail hands down. Of course, yeah. Sure. And interestingly enough, Raven got the most fan mail. Yeah, huh. that doesn't surprise me either. Yeah. And my favorite letter was from ni- some nine-year-old boy uh, who sent in this picture of sad little Raven saying, Life is useless. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get to keep it? I hung that one in my office. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. Some nine-year-old oh, little so emo boy. Sure. A little goth in training. Just connected so hard. <laughs> yes. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Raven has been like the sort of like the surprise uh, uh, fan favorite uh, for so long. So She's great in that trade that I just read with Damien. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I got to borrow that. Uh, so... 
You want to come back sometime? Sure, I can come back. If you'd like to uh, get Rachel Gluckstern to come back, then write us an email at uh, uh, epicpodcast at gmail.com. Rachel Gluckstern, we would like to thank you so much for being on the program this month. Thank you so much for having me. Yay! Hey, Lugo, look at this. What? No, look, real close. What is that? I don't know. What, what, what am I looking at? See you next month, fucker. Once again, we would like to thank Rachel Gluckstern for being our guest on the program this month. Thank you, Rachel. She was a great guest. I, I look forward to having her back so we can discuss more of the stuff I uh, wanted to talk about. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to be weird or anything, but um, what happened at the end of the interview? Oh. What, what, what was that? Oh, there, was, that's, uh, there was like some stuff and then... That's uh, not really important. Hey... Rachel, yes. what do you say we do some plugs and we get out of here? Ooh, let us plug things. On Saturday, August 1st, I will be hosting the Pink Room Burlesque. That's Francine the Lucid Dream's ongoing burlesque tribute to the works of David Lynch, but we're taking this act on the road. We will be presenting a Twin Peaks burlesque show at Asbury Lanes in Asbury Park, New Jersey. On Tuesday, August 11th, I will be in Rabbit Hole Productions Presents Honey, I Stole Your Act. It is a show in which burlesque couples get together and perform one another's numbers. So, <laughs> Hard Corey, who's been on the program, he and his partner, Clara Coquette, will perform one another's numbers. Joe Boobs Weldon and Johnny Pork Pie will perform one another's numbers. So will Tansy and Nikki Nickers. I will be in the show performing a bunny act. Uh, that was created by my girlfriend, Bunny Buxom, and mm. she will be rapping. Cute. On Saturday, August 15th, I will be performing at Le Poisson Rouge in Manhattan. I will be performing with Weedus, the band who rose to fame with their song uh, Teenage Dirtbag in the year 2000. Also on the bill, an awesome three-woman hip-hop group from Brooklyn called Handjob Academy mm. and the delightful MC Lars. That's Saturday, August 15th. Come do some rapping. And then at the end of the month in August or into early September, I will be on tour in the Midwest with also former friend, former guest of the program, Cool Z. We are doing a tour in the Midwest a tour called the Heartland Horror Show. Uh, I will be posting all of the dates soon, but that's at the end of August. And that's, uh, that's, that's what I got on tap and probably spending some time at the movie theater because air conditioning. Air conditioning. What you got? Ooh, on July 31st, which is the day after this airs, I will be in D.C. Uh, doing the Weirdo Show at the Beer Baron Tavern in Washington, D.C. Come check it out. It's Weirdo a, show? Yeah. I'm what? doing burlesque there. Oh. Charles Stunning will be there. I might also be there. Huh. Dun, 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 dun. On Tuesday, August the 4th, I will be a part of Lauren Mall's show, Something Something Something. I don't remember. It's not written down because it's my birthday and I don't have to be responsible thing, for things on that day. So mostly that's my birthday. Also, there will be a show. Hooray for that. On Friday, August 14th, at the Creek in the Cave at 10 p.m. will be Honey Badger Burlesque Presents, Charles Stunning's Birthday Bonanza, the third. <gasps> it will be the third installment of Charles Stunning's birthday show featuring some of her favorite performers doing their favorite numbers. Uh, she'll be hosting. Come check it out. 
or don't. I'm not your boss. On Wednesday, August 19th, Charles Stunning will be at White Elephant Burlesque in the Lower East Side somewhere. I'm really not paying attention to August because it's my birth month and I don't have to know things. That's part of the benefit of your birth month. Yeah, exactly. I have every intention of being just drunk and happy. So there's that. And on Saturday, August 29th, I will be co-hosting the Astoria Music and Arts Festival at Astoria Park with my bandmate, Mark Robert Turner. It'll be a day filled with joy and wonder and music, and hopefully a parent won't yell at us this time. We'll see. So come check it out. It might go down in flames. But honestly, I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be from noon to 8 p.m. on the 29th. Wrap up your month with me. I'll be hungover. Birthday. Awesome. I will go. It's in Astoria Park. It's not far from here. Yeah, you can walk there. I can walk there. Oh, one more thing before we go. Our guest, Rachel Gluckstern this month, left behind some comic books. And we have a trade paperback of JSA. That's the Justice Society of America. Very cool. Versus Cobra, a trade paperback that was edited by Rachel Gluckstern. And she has signed it. Ooh. And we're going to give this away to one of our lucky listeners. Ooh. Uh, will it be C. Muldrow? Maybe. Will it probably. be another listener? We don't know. We don't know. Here's how you enter this contest to win in this autographed copy. Uh, write to us at epicpodcast at gmail.com and pitch to us a superhero. Specifically, pitch to us a teen titan. Ooh. A teen titan that does not exist. Yes. You don't make a an adolescent version of an existing DC superhero. Create your own superhero. You can send an artwork if you want, or you can just write a description, however you want to do it. But pitch to us a superhero who should be a member of the Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. And the best entry we get, we will mail you this trade paperback of JSA versus Cobra, edited by Rachel Gluckstern. It's beautiful, by the way. You want to win this prize. You want to win this prize. We wish Nelson Lugo a speedy recovery, and we hope to have him back in Studio 6C next month. And I think that's it. That feels good. All right. Feels real good. Then, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Epic Piecast, episode 34. I have been your host, Schaefer the Dark Lord. And I have been your other host and your other other host, Rachel Shank. Be safe, internets. Did you know the internet weighs about as much as a strawberry? The weight of all the electronic motion that make up the internet at any given moment is equivalent to 50 pounds. Thank you for listening to the Epic Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, our loyal listener. So send us your feedback, love mail, hate mail, dick pics, and recipes to epicpiecast at gmail.com. But seriously, don't send us dick pics. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network. And there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. 
For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and more, visit nerdyshow.com. And be sure to follow Nerdy Show and the Epic Highcast on all of your favorite social networks. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.